0: Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Very excited because we have a fantastic show for you today. It's with social media sensation, George Hahn, and we shall get to George shortly. And before we get into our two big things, which may actually be three big things today, but I wanted to ask you guys, how many beers a week do you drink?
1: Zero. Zero.
0: Okay. Because you heard about the whole democrat scandal of two beers a week right
1: i heard they're going to limit it that yeah. you're just basically biden is personally going to limit everyone's well beer it's going to be like a
0: whole beer police force like space force uh, this biden seems a beer like force. it's
1: obviously going to happen
0: yeah and uh, ted cruz went nuts yesterday about it he said and this is why i'm bringing this up he was like democrats just want to control your lives and if you think i'm going to be drinking two but you can kiss my ass Yuck. And I <laughs> he is so yucky. But here's the thing that I wanted to point out. It's like first of all, abortion.
1: Exactly.
0: Abortion. Oh my god. These motherfuckers, they literally crawl up a woman's vagina and control it. And this fucker has the nerve, the nerve to go on this dramatic theatrical rant about Democrats controlling lives. Well, you know what, Ted Cruz? Kiss my ass. All right. That gets us to our TV thing. (laughs) That was kind of the rant before the rant. I
1: like that rant.
0: All right. Donald Trump. You
2: said in in
0: 2016, you know,
2: uh, lock her up. And then when you became president, you said, we don't do that in America. That's just not the right thing to do. That's what they're doing. Do you regret not locking her up? And if you're president again, will you lock people up?
0: Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, The answer is you have no choice because they're doing it to us. All right. Well, first of all, they're not doing anything to you. You did it. You committed the crimes. They're coming after you. They're not coming after anybody else. This is not a witch hunt. This is not weaponization of the FBI and the Department of Justice. This is just simply the United States government, the state of Georgia, the state of New York, exercising its powers to uphold the rule of law. But the bigger takeaway from that clip is Be warned, people, this is an authoritarian. If he should ever step foot in that Oval Office again, our democracy is done. Done. Right there. I'm going to lock up my opponents. That's what he's going to do. This was a busy week for him. He asked Georgia to separate him from the other co-defendants in the January 6th trial. A couple have requested under the speedy trial law that they be at trial in October or as soon as possible. He, of course, wants to push it out as far as possible. He also decided not to attend his arraignment in Georgia, so he just pled guilty and waived his right to arraignment. Interestingly, down in Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp rejected the Republican calls for a special session to impeach Fannie Willis. This is a big deal because these fuckers in the state legislature, they just want to remove her and end that case in their sycophantic fealty to this orange jesus of theirs and he said quote i have not seen any evidence that d.a willis's actions or lack thereof warrant action by the prosecuting attorney oversight commission as long as i am governor we're going to follow the law and the constitution regardless of who it helps or harms politically we have to be very careful when you're in power not to abuse that power so good for him It looks like Willis and the prosecution may have dodged a little bit of a bullet because it is something they could technically do, just like Republicans in the House are preparing to impeach Joe Biden over nothing.
1: Yeah, I think that this wasn't by accident or because Kemp is a good person. He remembers, he does have a memory of Trump supporting Purdue running against him as governor. He also remembers that they lost both Senate seats in Georgia because of Trump. So politically, he has a brain, and he realizes that going along with Trump and getting rid of Fannie is a terrible political idea, and as he said, maybe unconstitutional in Georgia's constitution. It was mostly in response, I think, to Georgia State Senator Colton Moore, who came and did a video threat on Breitbart's uh, war room, and uh, he said, you know, he doesn't want to have to use his gun and have a civil war, but we have to do something, apparently. Well, I
0: think political expediency is certainly Kemp's motivation, and uh, it's also self-preservation, you know, his legacy. The problem we've seen in the last eight years or so with Republicans is that they don't seem to give a shit about their own legacies and their own reputations. Um, Donald Trump this week filed to have the New York State civil fraud suit dismissed. And then Tish James filed a motion saying, we don't even need a trial. There's so much evidence, we don't need a trial. And of course, that's a little bit of stage theatrics, but they are awaiting some rejudgment, which is just an initial determination by the court to determine what the path is going to be going forward. And then uh, the interesting thing also that I've been watching is this whole 14th Amendment thing. You look at New Hampshire, there's a likelihood that they're going to Claim that Trump can't run because he is someone who has engaged, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion, which is what the 14th Amendment is. And if they start doing that in key swing states that are perhaps democratically controlled, like Michigan, Pennsylvania, is a serious constitutional legal case to be made here. So that'll be interesting to follow. Um, Rudy Giuliani. What a fall from grace, huh? That guy is not having a good time.
1: I think he was always this person, and we've just had it revealed to us what he's become. He isn't a different person than he was when he was mayor. It's just that we're seeing the true Giuliani, and he is desperate. He's desperate because he, he is broke. He's going to have to sell his $6.5 million apartment. It's on the market. Upper East yeah. Side.
0: The listing says the layout is, quote, thoughtful and inviting. Um, I wish they would just reward that. And say, like, is uh, <laughs> ideal for lying down and unzipping your <laughs> pants. And <laughs> this is an apartment. Like, if if you want to bring like a young chickie over and like just sort of surreptitiously have her try to blow you, this is an apartment for that. It's totally an amazing apartment for that. The last thing I want to mention is Mitch McConnell. Like, I've really had it with people who are making fun of him, who are making political jokes, who are just laughing and not showing an ounce of compassion to a human being just because of partisan politics. Have we sunk so low into the sewer that, I mean, this is the one response that just fucking drives me crazy when people say things like, yeah, it's hard to have compassion because he did this and he did that. And it's like, all you're really saying there is because someone else was a douche, I could be a douche too. Like at some point you have to say, I got to do what's right. And when a, a, a senior citizen stands up there completely struggling, and some people, the thought that goes through their mind is good. Fuck him. Like, I I don't know. I just don't get it.
1: I just want to point out, this is the party that said that John Fetterman wasn't fit to be a senator. And they are mostly behind him. Although I will say, moments after the Senate doctor released the letter saying that he was fine, the National Review immediately released an editorial saying that he should resign immediately for leadership. Look, you can say,
0: I hate Mitch McConnell. I think he destroyed this country. He enabled Trump. He's a bad person. But it pains me to see another human being stand up there and struggle with his health that way. Why do you have to say, like, I don't give a fuck what happened to him yesterday? Because he is responsible for Roe being overturned. Like, I, I just don't understand that mindset. Anyway, winners and losers. Let's get to it. <laughs> okay.
1: My winner, the Pope, for expressing his dismay at a very strong, organized, reactionary attitude, that was in quotes, opposing him within the U.S. Catholic Church, one that fixates on abortion and sexuality to the exclusion of caring for the poor and the environment. Well done, Pope. My loser, Vivek Ramaswamy, who received a cease and desist letter and can no longer rap to Eminem songs on the campaign trail. My winner today is Emma Martin, an incredible young journalist from the Daily Tar Heel, UNC newspaper, on her powerful and emotional front page featuring messages sent during the horrific shooting that we had last week. My loser, Elon Musk, in a life-imitating art moment. If anyone has ever seen the Glass Onion movie with Miles Braun as the billionaire, who lives in a giant glass house on an island. Well, Elon Musk now has two cases opened up against him, one from the SEC and one from the Southern District of New York, about how he took Tesla money to buy millions and millions of dollars worth of specialized glass to build himself a glass house.
0: My loser this week, Rudy Giuliani. He lost his defamation lawsuit brought by Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman, the Georgia mother and daughter election workers. He will now be liable for massive punitive damages, and the icing on the cake is that the judge ordered America's broke-ass loser to pay their $90,000 legal fees. My winners, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, who can now begin to reclaim their names, their reputations, and rebuild their lives after being unjustly attacked by the United States president and his sycophantic, disgraced former lawyer. That brings us to our weekly rant. Donald Trump vomits nonstop that President Joe Biden, Democrats, rhino republicans, the courts, judges, and prosecutors are all engaging in what he calls election interference. That, as always, it's all just one big fat deep state conspiracy against him. This whiny, pissy, grievance-obsessed serial criminal and traitor is having a hard time accepting the fact that he's no longer sitting in the corner office at Trump Tower, where he was accustomed to doing and saying whatever the fuck he wanted with impunity. He can't accept that he is not above the law. That his four indictments, four arrests, and 91 felony charges are the direct and exclusive result of his behavior and no one else's. The truth is Donald Trump is facing an existential crisis the likes of which can and very likely will destroy him personally, politically, and financially. His next 18 months, most of which will occur during his presidential campaign, will be consumed by trials. But let's be crystal fucking clear about one thing. Trump is running again for one reason, only to shield himself from prosecution, which explains why he's desperately trying to delay his trials beyond the 2024 election so that in the event he wins, he can fire the prosecutors and shut the cases against him. He's simply trying to stay out of prison. Remember, the investigations into Trump and his criminality all began before he announced his candidacy. So, election interference, my ass. It's more like indictment interference. All right, let's get to our guest, George Hahn. When George Hahn is not needling, charming, or entertaining nearly a million followers across his social media channels, he's busy chronicling city life as a, quote, urban recontor, writing for Graydon Carter's airmail and his own website, hosting the occasional podcast, including Pivot with Kara Swisher, Interviewing celebrities for in- entertainment news shows like Extra, appearing as a commentator on MSNBC's 11th Hour with Stephanie Rule, and the Sunday show with Jonathan Capehart. When they let him, acting, having appeared on Sex and the City, Law and Order, and Kate and Leopold. He was also featured in recent issues of Esquire and The Rake. George, welcome into the back room. Andy, what a pleasure. The pleasure's all mine, as the saying goes. I'm a big fan, I love you, Uh, not maybe in that way, but I will admit, if I was gay, you might be my type, I'm just throwing throwing it out there. That's really good to know, and I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, no, but seriously, I'm a huge fan, Uh, you're one of the people who sort of blossomed online during the COVID years, the Trump years, and really served to make people feel good, because you said a lot of the things we were thinking. And so you kind of gave voice to a lot of people, still do. And uh, you're funny as hell and you're smart. And, uh, you know, I think that's why you've grown in such popularity that you have, because you have a really important, very crystal clear voice. And so it is truly an honor for me to have you on here and talk to you today.
2: Well, Andy, it's really incredible to hear that. Thank you for saying it. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope I I hope I can live up to it.
0: <laughs> live up to the live up to your hype. <laughs> I'm sure you will. So before we get into some other things, uh, just want to first of all acknowledge that you are here, fresh off of a colonoscopy, and that's big news.
2: True story. Everything, True story. Everything went well. Everything went well, and um, uh, just a shout out to anybody who's nervous about it, just do it. Uh, there's so much stacked in the idea of it that puts a lot of people off it's it's um as i wrote today in my newsletter that i put out this morning i tried to do one every week and i said i don't care how much you're into ass play no one looks forward to a
0: colonoscopy that is by the Um, way i i did one many years ago and i'm overdue and i am one of the nervous people because i i remember that kind of ass play and i'm not looking forward to it again
2: well I forgot that the propofol was Michael Jackson's drug of choice. <laughs> um, and when the nurse administered it to me, when I was in the OR, she just kind of leaned into me and waved. And she said, good night, Mr. Haas. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, we're going to count to 20. I don't remember anything past three. Right. Yeah. I. It was easy peasy, truly. Yeah. The biggest bitch was the prep. That's yeah. All.
0: And, you know, the, getting back to ass play for a second. Sure. I think when most people... <laughs> that's probably the first and last time i'll ever say that in my life by the way
2: i am your type
0: aren't i andy you are you're funny i like funny i'm all about the funny (laughs) um so getting back to ass play for a second i think when most people think of ass play especially in a positive way they probably are Mm -hmm. not thinking about it happening alone in a bathroom all night you know what i mean (laughs) no i would imagine not
2: no no god yeah. I mean, and... I had I had the night before I had stuff scheduled Um and I realized I had, let's just say, overscheduled myself. It did it, involve, did it the, involve a diaper. It involved. No. And uh, that's why I just said, you know what, you guys, I'm going to have to cancel. I will. We'll do this another time because you do the prep the night before. Anybody who's gone through this knows, as you do, you got to stay close to a bathroom. And
0: uh, did they say to you? Is, I remember when I did it, they said something like, oh, you have to take an enema. Did they make mm-hmm. you do that, like in the morning? No. Because they, no. because she, he said to me, because we need to make sure at that point, before you come in, you're fully evacuated. And I was like, "Right, well, that's a weird word to
2: use. Oh, that is a weird word. Yeah. But
0: Andy, them times has passed. We've progressed. <laughs> well, I'm hoping now. that in the, what is it, maybe now, 11 or 12 years since I had it, I'm hoping that medical technology has changed somewhat. Well, I I didn't get the tablet. I was
2: given the Gavalite, which is this powder that you mix into four yeah, liters I of had water. It's like a
0: lemon drink. And I was like, oh, this isn't bad. And then like an hour later, all hell that broke loose.
2: Right. <laughs> you, have, like, you have to time it. And I thought, all right, I'm going to start at four because my appointment was the next morning. And that was the right timing. I have to say uh, the timing was good. I Everything went swimmingly um and the only drag as i wrote about this morning the only drag was that gavelite it's not you got to drink a shit ton of it no pun intended you got to drink a ton of it and then it's it's not horrible and it's certainly not delicious it's just like it's just this non kind of thing that you have to consume and you have to consume all of it um Not in one sitting. I mean, you take breaks. Right. But it's just like that's the worst part of it, I got to say. Now, when I got there the next morning, I was all sort of evacuated, as she said (laughs) so eloquently. Um, I said to the doctor and to the nurse, I said, you know what? We should do this colonoscopy or not. We as adults, as humans, should do this sort of cleanse maybe once a year, Mm. I sort of started to wonder like isn't
0: that a colonic this...
2: No because a
0: colonic goes in that end this is from the top down oh. this cleans the whole system do you know what i mean You're talking about like, like like putting a hose in your face and just like flushing the whole What are well, you talking about Well that's kind of that I'm talking about Gavelite and what this thing does the 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 high powered uh oh, a, just drinking it like a colonoscopy and then having a whole just clean yourself out like should is it to our benefit to
2: do that? I don't know, mm. once a year, once every two years, three, whatever. Um, because I felt um, like I lost a quick two pounds, which was great. And
0: then I felt sort of very clean. It felt evacuated. Yeah. Like a, like a flare. In all seriousness, it is colon cancer is not something to laugh at. Mm-hmm. It, is, it strikes a lot of people men and it is something that should be done i thought it was every 10 years my doctor said we'll we'll see you in five so i definitely have to go back and i don't know if you want to throw props to your doctor but definitely offline i want to ask you who your doctor was because i'm i'm searching for a an evacuation specialist are you here in the city also i am oh we have to meet yeah um
2: having done it and as an adult male who's of the age i'm 52 it was time it's empowering to have had it done yeah uh, I came away from it. It was, a, it's just sort of like a, a health maintenance and preventative milestone. And I felt empowered. You I felt d-
0: like you could diarrhea with the best of them all night long.
2: Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> a whole night of um, diarrhea.
0: I mean, who doesn't love delicious, that? Delicious. Who doesn't find that delicious. empowering?
2: <laughs> Aren't we glad we tuned in? Yummy.
0: <laughs> all right, let's go back <laughs> to Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, God. <clears throat> That's where you were born. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to imagine you in Cleveland, Ohio.
2: I recently tried to imagine myself in Cleveland to the tune of actually living there again for three years. Yeah, you moved there, I remember. What
0: was that like, going Um, back?
2: Going back was different because it was my my first time living there as a rent-paying, tax-paying adult. I had never seen... But it's
0: important to note that you moved back there who live after you had already mm-hmm. lived in Manhattan? That's a correct. That's a key part of the the story.
2: Correct. The the quick timeline is that I basically was raised in suburban Cleveland in a suburb called Lakewood from age from birth to eighteen. Went to college in Boston, and then moved to New York in ninety four. I lived in New York in twenty for twenty two years, and then in twenty sixteen, moved back to Cleveland. And came back here in 2020. So It was the end of 2016 to 2020. Basically three years I was in Cleveland. And then moved back just in time for the pandemic.
1: Mm-hmm. And, um, so uh, to
2: answer your question about what it was like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleveland has its charms. It really does. A lot of people like to dump on Cleveland. Um, I don't want to do that. Um It's, it's got its charms. It's an amazing piece of real estate on one of the great lakes. And, uh, it's got a lot going for it. It's great summer town. If you have a boat or know someone who does, um, culturally the restaurant scene is vibrant. The music scene is crazy. There's a, there's a great art scene. Um, but it wasn't for me. I miss New York terribly. Mm -hmm. And so I'm the second I got an opportunity to move back here. I took it.
0: And yeah. uh, you were a, an actor, theater guy when you were young, right? That was your major, and you moved to New York, assumably to work in acting. Um, and mm-hmm. you've done some stuff, obviously. And uh, I saw that you were Joan Rivers' social media director. That's interesting. Correct. That, would, that must have been a fun job.
2: It was really fun. Um, it certainly had some pressures, but worthwhile pressures. I. It was kind of the ride of a lifetime. I... Right always referred to it as the unicorn that knocked on my door because it was the spring of 2014. That was the year she died. It was the spring of 2014 and her friend, partner, the president of her company, guy named David, uh, reached out to me and said, your, your tone kind of rhymes with Jones on Facebook. And. You have a sort of a... You you have a snark. Or however he put it. And he said, we don't have anybody running her social media. We're all kind of chipping in while doing our primary jobs at the company. Would this interest you? And Andy, I'm thinking like, this was... It's a woman that we all saw on The Tonight Show. We just like... That was appointment viewing when Joan was guest hosting The Tonight Show when Johnny was off. And... She was an idol of me Mm. and my father. And so when David pitched this to me, would this interest you? I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Pardon my French. Um, and I grabbed it and took it and it was an honor. And that's what I say. It was the unicorn that knocked on my door and it was a great ride for the summer. And then she died at the end of that summer in a freak medical accident. Mm. But it was amazing. Um, really amazing.
0: Yeah. And I I read, there's a quote that I found, which I, I found pretty funny. You say, quote, in the fall of 1994, I got an opportunity to move to New York. For my first 18 months in Manhattan, I worked as a receptionist in one of New York's most exclusive hair salons, where I made hair appointments for some of the most pulled faces in the Northern Hemisphere. My cousin, Catherine Hahn, I didn't know she was your cousin, eventually joined me behind the reception desk where we both charged New York's wealthiest prozac stoned women thousands of dollars for highlights bang trims and manicures that didn't make them look any younger ouch oh god that is that is uh spicy wow <laughs> that would be snark that's some snark right there spicy snark that was snark. that was spicy yeah <laughs> but probably true all true right otherwise you wouldn't have said it right um that Yeah, um, probably not going to get a job as a receptionist in a a beauty salon anymore.
2: Well, I ended up getting a great job as a cosmetic dermatologist's concierge, and yeah, well, that was that was you're under HIPAA laws there, so I have to keep secrets. But But, yeah, that job was interesting to say the least, and for a, a, a sort of impressionable, nice. Recovering Catholic from Cleveland. um, Some of the behaviors I witnessed <laughs> at that desk.
0: Oh, do tell. The en- Fuck oh, entire. Give us
2: one. The, well, the salon's not HIPAA, so we can go there. But just the entitlement, and not everybody. There were some who were kind of great. Actually, Um, in further endeavors in my life, later down the road, I ran into some of those clients that I that were regulars at Garen's salon and, um, you know, some of them were kind of great, but there were, there were some standouts that it was usually people with new money. And that's my observation working in that sphere where it's rarely, if ever people who were either had it their whole lives, like Kennedy kind of money or people who worked for it were generally the easiest ones. It was the new money people who Mm. were the biggest pain in the ass you know
0: that's pretty much um, a, you could say that about most things in life that involve new yeah. moneyed people they're kind of annoying they're
2: just yeah i think it, they think it buys them this new brand of entitlement yeah um example being at the cosmetic dermatologist i'm not breaking hipaa law she's public about it but kelly rippo was a client uh, patient um, is and um she is a great example of someone who was really easy, pleasant, Mm. a delight to have her in the office. Uh, This is a woman, she and I are the same age. She's a woman from humble beginnings. Her father was a bus driver, you know, um, and she came from not much and worked for every dime she earned. So her, you would think she might come to the table with a little entitlement or it might be a little tricky. Nope. Easy, easy. I had an easy time with her. Mm. That was a great... She's a fair example of people who come from something like that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people in the business of show that uh, don't take themselves very seriously and are just truly good, nice people. And like everything else in life, they're assholes and they're nice people. Right. So I heard you talk this week about your parents and how they were loving and it was very sweet the way you were talking about them. What did your parents do work-wise when you were growing up? My dad was a madman
2: in my earliest memory. Mm. I was born in 1970, and through the 70s, most of the 70s, my dad was in advertising. He was an account executive. Uh, he was uh, like an account supervisor. If anybody is familiar with madmen, my dad was Pete Campbell, mm. uh, minus the psychological issues um, <laughs> Uh, but my dad had Pete's job. Pete Campbell was an account executive, mm-hmm. like a supervisor, and um, and then he did got other opportunities. He had his own boutique ad and marketing and PR firm for a while, um, and then got an opportunity in the corporate world and took it and made more money. Um, he was like a vice president of a company. In Cleveland, called Pubco. The company still exists, um, and that was his last gig. Uh, he died when he was my age, actually, mm. fifty-three. Uh, I'm almost fifty-three. Um,
0: what What did he die? And
2: I'm, he had heart issues. Mm. Um, he had a bypass once when I was very young, like three or four, and then had another one when he was. I was nineteen, he was fifty-three, and he died the next day. Um, just a lot of damage and he had an enlarged heart. There was scar tissue from the first surgery seventeen years seventeen years prior. Um, yeah. So uh it runs on our family, so mm-hmm. I'm quite cautious of it and I'm in I'm in great shape. Everything looks good in in this house, as it were. Um and mom was just my mother was Betty Draper. She <laughs> went to a nice New England college, Marymount, up in Westchester, which is no longer, um, and then came to the city and lived a few years, had roommates, and partied, modeled. She was a model. She was a photographer's assistant. I think she had a little retail experience there, here in the city, and then uh, met the guy who would become her first husband, and, and whose name was Don. And I think he worked in advertising. Um, and I love how, she married, like
0: A lot of people, when you ask them about their childhood, they say, oh, it was so idyllic. It was like, father knows best. It was, leave it to beaver. Like, you're like, I grew up in Mad Men. Kind
2: of. Yeah. Except my mother, unlike Betty Draper, my mother was a good mother. Like, she, she, she Betty should have never had kids. My wow. mother was, you know, I don't want to canonize my parents, but let's just say if I had my own kids, I'd borrow a lot from their notebook. That's great. Um, yeah. That's probably the so, best compliment
0: you can ever give them, you know?
2: Absolutely. Listen, um, I don't have any parental advice to give anybody, but I can uh, recall what my mother said to me um, that when she was um, seeking counsel for something when we were all kids, and she said the best advice she ever got was that you can only give your children two things you can love them and give them a sense of values that's all you can do Mm. and stepping back and i kind of go yeah we were loved and we were given pretty good values so i'll take it was it perfect no but it was they did their best and i think it was pretty damn good
0: yeah well those things are sadly there's a shortage of that these days Mm -hmm. i first became aware of you i think it was that video you did in 2020 where you were walking down the streets I think it was when Republicans all over the country were like, oh my God, what the fuck is happening in New York? Because of that, COVID, it's like a, an apocalypse. And so you opened your phone, you were walking around the city and you were saying, like, oh my God, look what's happening here? It's awful. People are eating ice cream, <laughs> gay ice cream. And it was so funny, but it was also like such an indictment on the stupidity of these people and the accusations that they were making because- when it started to reopen, life really was kind of back to normal pretty quickly. And so yeah. w- when was it that you first got the idea, like, all right, I'm just going to start walking around with my phone and rant? Had that happen?
2: That was the first time. That was the wow. first time. How that happened was this. I was walking down Columbus Avenue and I, with my dogs that night. I think it was the first week of September in 2020 and Molly Jong fast, uh, the political journalist, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say pundit really. She's kind of a, she's a writer and does a lot of TV and she and I become good friends since because she's responsible for my fame as it were. She um, had posted something on Twitter and mentioned in a podcast after posting a picture of her street, it was a tranquil setting. She lives on the east side and she was accused of posting something that was fake news. Like there were people who don't live in New York telling her that her image of New York wasn't real. <laughs> I live here, you live here. Anybody who lives here knows, you No, know, also mind you, this was, uh, that summer we had George Floyd, we had right. demonstrations, um, Not for nothing, there were some issues, but it wasn't (laughs) anywhere near on the scale that uh, uh, certain media outlets were claiming it was. Everything was actually quite okay. And I literally decided to make a video reacting to Molly's comment about someone saying that she was posting fake news. And I literally, Andy fired up my phone, and recorded 77 seconds walking down Columbus Avenue, walking my dogs. It was one take. What you saw was what it was, and that was it. And I uploaded it to Twitter, and it was a response to Molly. And then she retweeted it. And Mm. because she had a million followers, that's how it kind of started. That was the spark that lit the bonfire. And it went viral. Because Molly knows people and the people who know Molly know other people. And I was getting these messages that, uh, you know, do you know so-and-so is following you now? And that just scared the shit out of me. But, yeah, that was the first one. And it was a reaction to the bullshit claim that New York was on fire.
0: But there's such a magic to what you do because of the timing, the delivery. And then your punchline is usually just a stop. And then a look, Mm -mm. like you would have a punctuation that just brought it back to reality, and they're very funny, but they're also very biting. And, um, you know, the whole for me, for me, like the way you would say that all the time, I found that (laughs) I don't know, I became like a fifteen-year-old kid when I. It still
2: drives. It still drives me nuts.
0: But then also, like, it's not fair, and all the things you say that that just mock the stupidity. Victimhood. 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 Well, because we live in, you know, with Trump, we live in an age of uh, of victimhood.
2: A grieved victimhood. That's kind of what I'm
0: going after. So with your work, if there ever was like a bon vivant man about town, it's you. If you go to your website, there's so much that you do from podcasting to acting to styling to this, that, the other thing. What would you say is the bulk of what you do?
2: these days it's so hard to answer when people ask me what i do because as you just articulated i wear a lot of hats it's like i'm like a swiss army knife you know which blade do you want now (laughs) um i'm a generalist i write Mm -hmm. uh in addition to what i do on my own blog and my newsletter and on social Mm -hmm. media i write i'm a contributor to airmail which Mm -hmm. is a privilege to work for Graydon carter um I've also started contributing, although nothing published yet, you know, it's going to be an issue or two down the line, but uh, contributing to a magazine here in New York called Avenue Um, and occasionally do commercial work, uh, acting work. When the show business people let me, that's always been a big trick. Like, I'm not real good at that. Uh, That's always what I've always wanted to do. Like, the only thing I ever really wanted to be was an actor. But since I've never been particularly lucky um, and haven't had much success in that area, everything else you're seeing, the writing, uh, making these videos on social media, this is all plan B, C, D, Mm -hmm. E, F. Like, Mm -hmm. this is all, you know.
0: And the podcasting stuff has been getting really interesting, too. I mean, you hosted mm -hmm. Pivot with Kara Swisher, who... Uh, a total delight. Coming back on this podcast again next week. Um, She's and, great. I love you, her so you much. You do a lot with, with Scott Galloway, and then you have your own mm-hmm. pod uh, that you've done in the past. H- how did you get into Kara and Scott's orbit?
2: I barged into their world on Twitter, actually. Um, it started on Twitter. I was a fan of Kara mm-hmm. when she had her previous podcast, De- Recode Decode, or whatever it was called. Scott was a guest and then they did pivot. And I'm like, who is this guy? And she was so smart and interesting And there. I have a real nerdy part of my brain that's a little obsessed with tech. And so that she was right up my alley Mm -hmm. in terms of content. But she's also got a versatility. She goes into politics, pop culture, Mm -hmm. um, lifestyle stuff. And same with Scott. Mm -hmm. Although they each have their corners of real sort of expertise anyway. Twitter is how I barged into their lives mm-hmm. and, um, they eventually like unlocked the door and I just kind of like came in mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, we became friends and that's really how it was. That's, that's been a real Scott has talked about this before, you know, with me specifically and other people, but in general, like silver, the silver lining during the pandemic and social media has been a connection to people like with Scott, mm-hmm. with Kara. Um, and others as well. Yeah. Yes,
0: absolutely. And so, one of the things you do is you post daily photos. How do you come upon the themes that you select when you are posting? Because a lot of them are black and white. They're kind of filmy, film. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, there's a nostalgic, cinematic feel to them. But is there a <laughs> message? Are you just posting photos you like, or are you trying to somehow cryptically make us go, mm, What's in this photo that George is trying to tell us? What I like, and I think
2: what we've been missing over the years is glamor. There is a certain sense of occasion that we've lost, um, just in our own self presentations, in the way we approach life, the way we approach the day, the way we approach the office, the street, the restaurant, there's a certain sense of occasion that we've lost. Um, it sounds frivolous, Andy, but I think if we, there was a, we've, things have gotten very also sort of restless and combative even in our culture. And there was a period I haven't seen any, in a, I don't see as many now as I, we did like a couple of years ago, but during the pandemic, there were these videos that people would post where it was Usually white people like kind of popping off in public Mm -hmm. and spinning out, like whether it was at a Starbucks, a Walmart on an airplane, that was a big, that was one of the greatest hits. Um, People just losing it and fighting. And this is going to sound. I'm trying to figure out a way to say this without sounding like an idiot, but you know, here goes. I honestly believe that if we're going to dress like we're going to a boxing class, we're going to be ready like to be boxing. You know, if I'm wearing, I'm not saying wear a tux everywhere, but when I travel, I generally wear a tailored jacket. I don't want to throw a punch. I'm not feeling particularly combative when I know I look good. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm too busy looking good, and it changes it's my better demeanor. To look good changes... than
0: feel good. You know, the man said that, right?
2: One takes care of the other. You know what I mean? If you don't feel good, look good, something might shift. You mm-hmm. know, act as if, as they say. Um, So when I love tailored clothing, I don't wear it all the time. I'm not wearing it right now, of course. But. Something in my demeanor shifts and changes Mm -hmm. um, and I carry myself differently. There's a certain sophistication, a certain civilized demeanor.
0: Let's dress for uh, success. I mean, that's the old
2: adage that we've Then a lot of us have lost it, you know, and it does affect how we behave. When as an actor and any actor will tell you this, particularly stage actors, you spend weeks rehearsing a play and learning a character and you. You know, you start with your script in hand and then eventually you're off book. You've got it memorized and you're rehearsing and you kind of got the character down and you're ready to go, ready to go into dress rehearsal. Something shifts. ask any actor something shits or there's always a change when you put on the clothes of the character, mm-hmm. when you put on that character shirt, pants, shoes, something shifts. Because you've been rehearsing in sneakers and jeans, the whole or whatever, but when you put on that character's stuff, your body changes, your mm. performance, tone, attitude. There's a little shift. Sometimes it's big. Sometimes it's small. Um, that is the power of, for lack of a better word, costume. Um, and as RuPaul says it perfectly, you know, we're born naked, and the rest is drag. So what I'm wearing right now is drag. Your hoodie is drag. Like, it's all drag. So the drag affects us and how we carry ourselves. Mm -hmm. The man in full drag, and he'll start sashaying. (laughs) Something happens when you put the heels on. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's my approach. Talk to me about the peacoat. My peacoat? I Um, know you're a big fan of the peacoat. It's such a classic, really. Like, every guy should have one. Mm -hmm. The first real peacoat that I got was so good. I got it at a flea market down in the East Village with my friend Mick and his then-girlfriend Suzanne. This was in the late 90s, and I think I paid maybe 60 bucks for this vintage peacoat that belonged to an actual seaman from the 1950s, a guy named Charles Way. His name was In It and his naval, like, his officer number was in it, and I managed to track him down. He died a few years ago. But that peacoat was so fantastic. It was made of this wool that I've never seen durable. Like, they, once upon a time, mm-hmm. they were really made to last. And um, and that, it kind of died. Like, honestly, <laughs> it fit perfectly. I still miss it. I had to get rid of it because it just kept falling apart. Like, it was so old, and it became threadbare. Because it was literally what is this, 20, I got rid of it in like 2021, so 20, it was like 70-some years old. Um, And I bought, I found a new one, and it's my favorite garment to wear in the fall and winter, easily.
0: It's one of those j- kind of jackets that, you know, there are people that try to be so cool all the time, but then there are people who just yeah. do things that are just naturally cool, and wearing a mm-hmm. peacoat is naturally cool. Uh, it's such a handsome,
2: it's such a wow. handsome
0: garment, Yeah. yeah. Getting back to like videos and photos for a second, the other day you posted Doris Day riding on her bicycle, which was a, mm. a real hoot. What's with Doris Day? What were you a saying? A little there?
2: background on that, by the way. I was reposting something from Alison Martino. Alison Martino is Al Martino's daughter. No. Al Martino played Johnny Fontaine in The Godfather. Great character. Johnny Fontaine. He was the character who, that the horse head, was all about Johnny. Um,. And Allison, his daughter, uh, is does vintage LA stuff, and I love her feed. Like she's great at capturing vintage LA. She posted that. I love a bicycle. I don't have a car. Haven't had one since '94. I love getting around the city on a bike. I think we have forgotten about the glamour of that because Americans associate bicycling with like spandex and taint padding and. Three pound carbon fiber bicycles. It's like, no, 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 no. Where's the pleasure when, but you know, a Raleigh or a Schwinn and you could wear shorts or a tuxedo? It didn't matter.
0: I, I gather you're and not just, talking about a city bike, right?
2: You could wear anything on a city bike. Oh, okay. Those are, you, you can't really race around on those. I think they cap at like 14 miles an hour, but well, not the electric ones. Those right. go at a pretty fast clip. Um, but, yeah, I love that Doris. Are you kidding me? Look at like, look at that Doris Day video. She is so goddamn happy on that bike. That smile on her face. I have never seen anyone behind a wheel of a car looking like that. She is just all bliss. If you should see, see me in my convertible. I
0: give Doris well, a run for the money.
2: My last car was a convertible, and you have a sympathetic ear here. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I get it. I loved it.
0: Doris Day is but. such a phenomenon because she's really a beautiful woman. She's very mm-hmm. vibrant, vivacious. But as a yeah. man, I never I never saw any sex appeal in her whatsoever.
2: I think that was probably part of the image. That's what made her money. That's what got her hired. That's what the studio wanted her to do and her to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. She was part of the well, they, they did she it was well. part of the studio system.
0: <laughs> yeah. They succeeded. And
2: um yeah.
0: But apparently
2: from what I hear, (laughs) like behind the scenes and in real life, she was a lot more fun and there was a sexuality there that we, that got very much downplayed, uh, to, for us as her film viewing audience. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah, I I know what Mm -hmm. you're saying. Like, she's very, she's very pretty. Like I can look at her and acknowledge like, that's a very pretty lady. But in terms of a sexual charge,
0: like, yeah, I'm not Maybe really... mean, she did spend a lot of time with Rock Hudson. And right. We know how that worked out. For right. Um, oh, <laughs> Rock. Have you seen a documentary of, on Rock Hudson? On
2: it's, age? I did. Did you? It's wonderful. Yeah,
0: it's really wonderful. The great thing about documentaries is that you can think you know someone that's been in your mm-hmm. life in some way for decades. And then all of a sudden right. you watch a movie and you're like, fuck, I had no idea who this person was, truly. Right. had no idea um so <laughs> your central park walk on wednesday oh my god oh, which one? Th- oh the wednesday, rant the rant rant that like yeah that was un- that you called it a tirade it was mm-hmm. that was epic that really was like if you ever had like a greatest hits album that's your free bird man that is your Nothing. free bird That's the one they're going to be screaming out, like, as you ride your bike past them in Central Park. They're going to be like, Wednesday, August 29. It was unbelievable. And I need to ask you, how does not it hit you,
2: though? Huh? Doesn't
0: it hit you, though, like a wall once in a while? Doesn't it? Oh, my God. I literally just, I posted something this morning. It was like, enough already. I just, I wake up, and it's like, when are we going to have that day where he's just gone? He's vaporized. We don't- See him, we don't talk about him, we don't hear him. Mm. It's not the first thing we see and the last thing we see. He doesn't dominate the news, but right, um, yeah, of course. And so, when you, when I was listening to your rant, like I have so many questions about your walks in Central Park. Like, the first one is, do people look at you like you're crazy? Mm Because I remember during the Trump years, I'd be listening on my headphones, like to Joy Reid or something, and they'd be playing a clip. And I'd hear his voice and I would just scream, fuck. (laughs) Like I'd I'd walk my dog and just be screaming. And people would look at me like, just move along, children. He's just another crazy city person. And like, so when you are doing that for 20 minutes, are you just so into that rant that you don't see anybody that may be watching you or looking at you or wondering what the hell is this guy doing?
2: People do look at me like I'm strange when I'm doing those walk-in-the-park videos, but I think we're at a time right now in terms of the way we use our tech and social media that people are pretty used to seeing people doing selfie Mm -hmm. shit, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not that exotic anymore.
0: Um, You must get recognized too, right? I mean, I think people who are on social media a lot have to know who you are if they're on Instagram or Twitter, right?
2: My favorite is when I get recognized while I'm doing a video, which is... (laughs) I, but my one of my favorite recognition moments, and honestly, Andy, I'd love to know what is in the cosmos. I run into Michael Rappaport <laughs> at least once a month. That's insane. In, in the same place in the park, I'm not timing when I go there, I'm not conscious of any consistent time that I'm winding up there. It happened two days ago. In the same spot, I run into Rappaport every goddamn time. It's at the same spot. It's at the intersection where the reservoir almost meets the road. And it's just like, why? <laughs> there is literally a Michael and George magnet in this 30 foot area, circumference area. I'm like, why do I run into him? That's so often funny because
0: he does very in similar type same videos, spot? too. He's ran yeah. he's ranting. I,
2: Michael and I yeah, we're kindred spirits in that way, and I adore him, and we adore one another.
0: Um, you're very cognizant sometimes of things around you. Like in mm-hmm. this Wednesday rant, for example, you're, you could be in the middle of this vitriolic, like, Trump is a mother! Hey, did you see that woman on that phone? She's holding it like a walkie-talkie. Like, you can switch gears so quickly you just switch gears, and you do that a lot. In this video, there was like babies crying in the background. There was a saxophone player playing uh, Billy Joel. There was the woman with the with the. There was that the bird that, 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 that bird that took the bird, rat. The bird, you, you yeah, there's oh. the. You're you're walking, yep. and all of a sudden, you stop. You're in the middle of this rant about Trump, and you're like, "Holy oh, shit! A bird just grabbed a rat and flew away." And then you went mm-hmm. off on the bird and how fucking amazing that was and how you wished you had taped it. You could see yeah. it. Because uh, it would have been that would have gotten you several million It was minutes, amazing. By the way. But, and it, you were trying amazing. to figure out was it a hawk? And then without missing a beat, you'd be like, all right, so Trump. Like you just go like it, How does that stream of consciousness come out so fluidly?
2: It is impressive. literally off the thank you. It is literally off the cuff shit. Rarely. If there is a big news event and i can't recall when there has been one i know i've done it this way where i will sort of not pre-plan it because those morning walks are completely improvised i don't go in with an agenda except sometimes what i'll start talking about is triggered by what i've just been listening to on a given podcast or on the morning news right but Generally, no. I am just kind of going, uh, let's see, like, you know, before I hit go live or whatever the button is on Instagram, I'll think like, all right, what did I watch last night? What did the dogs do this morning? What what in the last 24 hours happened that was at least semi-not boring? But and the things you
0: the, said in that video, like, I don't know if you're a fan of Rick Wilson, but he's... guy. I love Rick he's Wilson. such a, I call him a cunning linguist, but... Um, you—that's perfect. Yeah, you, you're like—he's great. I cannot believe we're here and you're talking about Trump. Mm-hmm. You know that he has traction, fans. He's a fucking skank. He's their—he's mm-hmm. their personal jam. And then you're like, people are just fucking disgusting. What the hell is wrong with you? Did you eat a lot of pain chips? And then you feel bad about Melania and Stormy Daniels, uh, how they had to ever lay down with this guy. he has muscle tone like a wet Nerf ball. Like, this <laughs> is really <laughs> like, If that shit is just rolling out from your brain as you're walking in the park with your dog, that's you're like a poet, man. You're a poet and you (laughs) may not know it.
2: The muscle tone one. Yeah, it is because it is gross. It just it's it, I suppose it's just a window into my brain in terms of where I go in my head when I think about that guy. Because he is just so fucking gross. I imagine being near him when he's when you hear him breathe on a microphone and when he exhales, it's like a fart to me. Like he is just so disgusting. I would imagine like the breath when you get near him. Oh God. So disgusting. I have a friend. um, Who is, who shares my political values and he and his significant other, a woman were there they have relatives or she has relatives who are members of mar-a-lago and they were in florida and they went to mar-a-lago for dinner and i was like oh god why but anyway he was just being you know you just be nice and and trump came in he was there and came to their table Wherever where else is he gonna be right and 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 he just my friend just mike just said like like the tingles that went up his spine of fury and it was just such a like a, an alternate reality experience. And I think I might have imploded and I'd been a, like in that. I, I've, literally, though, I think I probably would have gotten up and left the table and waited until he was gone. Be like, I have to go to the bathroom or made up some excuse and just waited for him to leave, then come back. I wouldn't have been able to take it. But yeah, that's where my head goes. I think he's that fucking gross. I can't believe that this is where we are culturally, intellectually, politically. Um, you know, people accuse me of living in a bubble in this liberal bubble. I think it's actually just the opposite, you know, um, find me any other place in the country where you can walk one or two city blocks and hear five or 10 different languages and people from different backgrounds. You can't mm. maybe LA, maybe LA, but no one's walking. Um yeah, so it, it just astounds me that this is where we are. I can't fucking believe this is where we are. Yeah,
0: well, we're we're there's a and, light at the end of the tunnel. It, it, it's a long tunnel, but there is. There it's is, a long one, and
2: Andy, it's not gonna. It's not if he if he keeled over and died tomorrow. It's not gonna end. You know, there's still. I don't know. Like, there is a whole. There are millions of people, as I said in that rant the other day, I think, there are millions of people who think his way of thinking, talking, being is just how shit should be. And I'm just like, oh, God.
0: Well, I I highly urge everyone to go to Instagram and check out George's. (laughs) rant from Wednesday because I actually think you, you probably could have gone straight from that rant to your colonoscopy and not had to drink that shit because you were on fire that day. You were you exploded <laughs> on that walk. So you, you might have spared yourself some of that colonoscopy pain. So the last thing I want to do with you to get a bigger window into George Hahn is to do a little lightning round with you. Favorite movie <laughs> of all time? All about Eve. Okay. favorite tv show what are you binging right now favorite tv show ever or now uh,
2: i would say mad men is probably my favorite tv show ever interesting yeah okay. not just cuz of the style just like it's just, it was such great storytelling and mm-hmm. just a great story about people and relationships yeah
0: favorite male actor
2: a living or dead It doesn't matter. Um, Probably was Philip Seymour Hoffman.
0: Mm, Good choice. Female actor. Meryl Streep. Favorite musical artist. Prince. Are you a Swifty? No. Said that rather quickly. Everything else you hesitated... Swift is <laughs> like no, that came out in like a half a second. I, I think I could identify maybe three of her songs. Okay, favorite stand-up comic. Oh God! You want to go
2: Louis C.K. Don't you? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, my favorite comics right now. All right, right now, my favorite stand-up comic is Maria Bamford.
0: Hmm. Okay.
2: Um. I've been listening to her a lot lately, I, or Tignataro.
0: Good choice. Yeah. Uh, what are you currently reading, or do you not read? I do read. I am reading. The Tignataro story. Book.
2: No. <laughs> I am reading uh, Paul Rudnick, the playwright Paul Rudnick's book. It's called Feral Covington and the Limits of Style.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Novel. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you most like about New York City, living in New York City? The fact that I don't need a car. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, that's, oh God, is that what I really like most about it? That's one thing. There's so many things, my God. That's I a big one. One more thing. Yeah, but um, access, that oh, access. Okay. That's what I love about New York City. New York City is about access. I changed my previous answer and change it to access. We have access to everything here. Even if you want to go to the beach, it's not far away. You mm-hmm. want to go skiing?
0: It's not far away. Mm -hmm.
2: If you want to go to a Broadway show or see a movie before it opens anywhere else in the
0: country, we've got that here. Favorite favorite museum? MoMA. Starbucks or Dunkin'. Oh, God. I knew you were going to say that, and I asked on purpose. You probably have, like, some awesome little cafe that you buy your special coffee that no one else Well, don't you? (laughs) I don't Don't drink coffee. I'm a tea guy. I haven't had coffee in about 30 years. Oh, gosh. We have so much to talk about, Andy. (laughs) Um... (laughs) I know. I stopped drinking coffee like right before they invented, as Larry David likes to say, new coffee bullshit drinks. So, right.
2: I, I drink co- I drink coffee black, nothing in it, which is infuriating. So when I on the rare occasions when I do go to Starbucks, and that is my preference between those two hells, um, uh, <laughs> I am invariably in line behind someone who is trying to figure out what they want, where they are, and who they are with some fucking Barbie Dreamhouse latte, and I'm just like, Jesus, grow <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> Where is the grown ups line where I just want a black coffee? <laughs> Jesus, it's just gotten so
0: specialized. <laughs> I hate it. It's so true. All right, last uh, one. Favorite hair product, and I know you're a you're a user. I am, and How do you get I'm that right now. Yours. This hair is shaped with
2: a product called Layrite. It is a hair cream. comes in a can. It's a, it's a matte cream. They also make glossier finish stuff like with a shine but mine's got a matte finish um it's like a paste it's like the texture of peanut butter mm-hmm. and it's water it washes out like it's water soluble um it's called Layrite. like uh it might even call itself a pomade
0: yeah mm-hmm. there you L- go folks L- a- the a- secret to L- george's amazing hair Layrite. Yeah, uh which yeah. you can pretty much use for your whole life too right just if you lay right you're probably gonna have a pretty good life
2: Right, yeah, I, try to, I try to lay
0: right all night <laughs> George We could probably do this for another three hours Easily Which means you'll have to come back And yeah, let's do Hang in the City I'm downtown, so I don't know where you are But this has been a lot of fun I'm glad you came on And I look forward to the next time Likewise, Andy, thank you so much Alrighty, take care This episode of The Back Room Was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy It was co-edited and co-produced by Matty Rosenberg And co-produced by Jen Hamoud Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander, and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wynn. If you like what we're doing here, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast, and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. Have a great week.